Welcome to the Vision Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and everything happening at Vision, visit us online at visionnwa.com. I want to do three things today. Before that, I want to say how proud I am of my two grandchildren. Now, I have nine grandchildren. Uh, I'm here in Springdale, so they're my two favorite grandkids. I just came from Gatlinburg, Pigeon Ford area, with my third daughter, who I love. She's my third daughter. I love her the best as my third daughter. But now I'm with my second daughter, and I love her the best. And when I get home, my fourth daughter, who I just married, married her to her husband in January, so I love her the best when I'm home. That way, you just love them all best. But I do, I am so proud of Rebecca and Zachary. Uh, When I see what they do up on this platform and these other young people, and that young lady that sang the soprano right here, sis, as I watched you, now all of you kids were great. All you young people were super. But there is an anointing on your life that is going to, look at me, this is going to carry you beyond where you're, imagination could even go. There is something special about what God is doing in your life. Not to take away from any these other young people, but walk close to him, daughter. Walk close to him. Stay sensitive to everything God wants to do in your life. And you're going to be amazed. And don't be afraid to walk through open doors. Take that as a word from the Lord. And the church said, amen. amen. My, uh, like I say, I love my two grandchildren dearly. I will be buying Zachary a pair of new jeans, though, before I leave. <laughs> I know he was waiting for that. <laughs> a few months now, I, re- I, re- uh, I retired in January from pastoring for 31 years. My daughter was able to be there. Pastor Nicole came out for that. And uh, it, it was a big surprise. I didn't know she was coming. But a few months before I retired, a couple came to visit our church. And they had their grandmother with them. And uh, uh, the grandmother said, I'm looking for a church where I can have my funeral. And so she said, I want to know one thing. She, she was talking to, to me. She said, I want to know if you're old order. And 25 of my church members who were close by said, yes, he is. Now, some of you don't know what that means. But I grew up as a Pentecostal. I grew up believing that the Holy Ghost was the most sacred, holy thing that could ever happen to an individual. Being baptized in this glorious experience that we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk to you today. I want to talk to you today about, it'll be in three segments. I'm going to tell you, for those of you that may not know me or or have heard me preach, I'm old enough now to where I can preach, and I don't care if you like it or not. I done done got it done, folks. (laughs) Been doing this for 63 years, and at age 78, I've got a few good years left because God's going to heal this knee before I leave again to go to Africa. However... I want to talk to you a little bit about what God has done in my life 
then I'm going to preach to you for a few moments, and then I'm going to talk to you about my vision and burden uh, for, for my next trip overseas. Uh, when I retired in January, uh, after 31 years of preaching, we, our church had become such a well-known multicultural congregation. In my family, we have black, brown, and white. And so not only is my family multicultural, but my church was multicultural. We have 27 languages in our congregation. So that makes us very Pentecostal. We speak in a lot of tongues. When I retired, I didn't retire from pastoring, from ministry. I retired from pastoring. And uh, God had given me a, a schedule. I have an assignment. And I understand that assignment now more folks than I've ever understood the call in my life. And I've been called since I was 15 years old to preach this glorious gospel. And you know what? At age 78, I've got the best job in the world. The best job in the world. So uh, I married my fourth daughter to a young usher, a young man in our church that I baptized him in Jesus' name and, he's, and we've trained him and he's an usher in the church. And so when I retired, I turned the finances over to my daughter and her husband to make sure my pension check came in regularly because she's in charge of the church money. And uh, then in February, I left for the month of February. I was in India preaching to Hindus. I was in Burma preaching to Buddhists. And I was in Pakistan preaching to Muslims. And by the end of that month, we had led well over 400 people to the Lord Jesus Christ out of those three ethnic groups. And uh, when I was in Pakistan, when I was in Pakistan, they assign you two bodyguards if you're there as a preacher or a politician. They assign you two bodyguards with AK-15s. And so I had bodyguards 24-7. Even when I go on the platform to preach, they went on the platform with me. I showed these pictures to them last night. One's on this side and one's on this side. And so when I made the invitation at the end of the service, I put those guards right on each end of the platform. And I said, now I dare you to walk out of here without knowing the Lord. We had a great time. I got home the end of February, was going to be home for two weeks, and this and then I was leaving again for two and a half months in seven nations of Africa for crusades and seminars and conferences. I've been to Africa 60 times over the past 50 years. And God has given us great favor because I'm not necessarily going into the gigantic cities, which it's okay to hold those kind of crusades. Part of my assignment was to go back into the bush back into the jungle areas and find those noble men and women who have sacrificed and given their lives but have been overlooked by major ministries that visit Africa and India and other third, third world countries. But yet there are noble men and women who have given their lives and have never been recognized. Some of I ordained a man in uh, Kenya who had been a pastor for 50 years back in the bush, 
But because he had never been ordained, he could not marry people, he could not bury people, he could not baptize people, he could not dedicate babies. But he had, because he had never been ordained, he was just a simple man, but he was a noble soul. And that's who the Lord has called us to. I've got a story about that a little later. But part of our goal, part of my assignment is to carry this good message along with the power to ordain through our organization and be able to bless these noble men and women because there are hundreds of thousands of them all over the world that have done a great work for God and he knows it, but they need to be honored and celebrated while they're still on this side of Jordan. And so that's part of our assignment, guys, is to do that. And so as Pastor Nicole said, I... Uh, I'm supposed to be in Africa right now. I was to be home for two weeks and then leave again, but somebody decided that the airplanes shouldn't fly anymore. And so I can't set home. And so I called a couple of friends and I said, uh, you've invited me to come preach before. Does that invitation still hold? <laughs> and so I've been on the road ever since the first, the, June the 4th, and I won't be home until September, uh, if I even go in September. But as soon as... The planes start flying again. This morning before I got here, I've already heard from Zambia and Malawi and Nigeria. And they're, saying, and they're saying, Pastor, as soon as those, our airports open, we want you over here. And so we've got to go. And, as, and with a few good years that I have left to be able to travel. And I'm a realist. Uh, I was telling Sister Johnson, I've got the brain. I, I, my brain thinks I'm 35 years old. And when I try to do what I did when I was 35, my 78-year-old body says, whoops. But you know, if you got the Holy Ghost, and if you got that fire burning in your bones, nothing will hold you back. I want to talk to you about finding the perfect church. Finding the perfect church. In St. Matthew, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded back by saying, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter, but my father, which is in heaven. Also in Ecclesiastes chapter four, it says in in the B part of verse number 13, I believe it is, a three-pronged cord is not easily broken. And then the third verse in the book of Jude says in part B, contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Now, I want to go back to you, to Ecclesiastes, and if you're looking for it in your Bible, probably the pages are still stuck, but uh, uh, if you, if you find that fourth chapter, and if the pages have been, you know, if you've read it, then the pages aren't stuck anymore. But if the pages are still stuck, don't let anybody see what you're doing. A three-pronged cord is not easily broken. When I was a little boy, we lived out in the country. I don't know how much Pastor Nicole knows. When, when we'd go home, sometimes we'd take her back to this little country town called Gouda Springs, Kansas, where we used to live. We had a cow when we were little. And, uh, 
They tried to teach, my dad tried to teach my brother and I how to milk a cow. No matter how hard I tried, that milk would not squirt out. But we sat on a stool that had three legs so that no matter which direction you moved, that stool never fell over. And when I read the three-pronged cord is not easily broken, I thought to myself, the perfect church has three components that will allow you to know you found the right place. I'm going to give you three bullet points, and then I will talk about each one of them. Number one, the perfect church must be apostolic. Number two, the perfect church must be Pentecostal. And number three, the perfect church must live holiness. A three-pronged cord, once you find a congregation or a church that has established those three components, you know you're in the right place. So let's start with the word apostolic. Now that has a different meaning to a lot of different people. But if, if we claim to be a New Testament church, if we claim to be people who live according to the Bible and we contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, then we will understand what it means to be apostolic. And that means that we believe in a God who is uncreated, who is self-sustained, and who is eternal. And that there is absolutely, unequivocally, no equal God to the one who we sang about this morning is the creator. The one who does not hide himself from us nor, nor tease us. I, I don't know where those songs came from, but I really like those songs. Some of the words are doctrinally correct. I pay attention to the music that we sing because oftentimes we sing what we believe and we believe what we sing. We sing Amazing Grace. Why do we sing Amazing Grace? Because we believe in Amazing Grace. And if we believe in Amazing Grace, they were going to sing Amazing Grace. And so if you are a true church, you believe that God is self-sustained, that he is eternal, and that he has always existed. Before there was anything, there was God. And we must train and Teach our children as they're growing up in a New Testament apostolic church that they must believe that there has never, ever been a time that God was not. That's a good place to shout amen. Number two, God, and, and Pastor Nicole touched on it. I thought, girl, you're going to get my sermon here in a minute. She's got real good DNA, so I'm, that's okay. God loves everybody. I don't care who you are or what your background is or how wicked or evil you might have been. God loves everybody. And because I have been in more than 100 nations of the world, guys, I've preached from Siberia to Australia and most of the points in between. I've lived such a blessed life coming from an unsaved home, the first Christian in, in the modern history of our family. Uh, now, my fam we're Kansas people. My folks are Republicans, and they thought that made you automatically a Christian. But I've traveled this world, 
And I have come to understand that whether you're a Hindu or a Muslim or a Buddhist or an atheist, whether you worship an alligator or bow at a tree stump in Africa, God loves people. In fact, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, you spell that with four R's, by the way. When he rose from the dead, his death saved the entire world. And right now, legally, every human being alive on the earth, or who will be or who has been, legally, they're saved. But until they accept that salvation personally, I can go out and buy my grandson a BMW. Now, I won't have to because, I mean, if he can spend $25 on a haircut, he can buy his own car. And the boy can't even buy a pair of jeans without holes in them. Looks just like my son-in-law back in Phoenix, only he's a different shade. If I go out and buy a brand new BMW and put Zachary Paul Taylor Johnson, Zachary Paul Johnson, I was thinking of the ex-president. Did they tear his statue down yet? I hope to God they left him alone. And I put his name on the title deed to a 2020 BMW. And I go over to the Johnson's household and I say, grandson, here's the keys and the title deed to a brand new, paid for BMW. It's yours. Here, take it. Until he reaches out and takes those keys, he is not in possession of that car. And it's the same thing with salvation. This world has been redeemed. There will never, ever be another redeemer. Never be another Jesus Christ. He's the only one that we will ever proclaim or declare. It's only Jesus Somebody asked me the other day, they said, Baba, you Jesus only? I said, no, sir, I'm only Jesus. Until Zachary takes the keys to that car, he does not possess it. It's his. I, pay, it's, I paid for it. Jesus paid for our salvation. But until we reach out and take that salvation by saying, I believe you, I receive you, and I will obey you, and I'll be back. You see, we're saved through, through the water and the blood, but that, that, I'm not going to go there. Salvation will never work in our lives until we accept it. Now, I think I'm probably preaching to the choir here this morning. But Pastor Nicole admonished you to go out and bring them in. That's the only way that they're going to be able to receive what Jesus did for them is that, that, is that they're brought to a place where they can be influenced by the preaching of the gospel and by our lifestyle. So we have to believe that God has always and forever existed. Then we have to believe that he loves everybody. He died for every. He didn't die just for those who would accept him. He died for everybody who would ever be born on planet Earth. And guys, when you stand in the, in the ruins of Mumbai, 
when you stand in the, in the uh, refugee camps of Jordan, when you look at the, at, the, at the rotten, broken lives of what sin has done, you're going to want to carry this message with every bit of strength that you've got. I wasn't qualified to do any of this. I was just a sinner boy on the streets of Arkansas City, Kansas. And I saw some young people that intrigued me. I was, I was, I was amazed by their lifestyle. I was a 15-year-old party kid. You know, I wasn't bad. How bad can you be in Kansas 63 years ago? <laughs> I mean, I've lived in New York City since then. <laughs> but I was intrigued by these young people. And you know what? They didn't turn their back on me because I wasn't one of them. And that's one of the great tragedies that, that, the, that the Pentecostal churches and the, and the Christian churches have in America today because we, we want to segregate ourselves, not racially, we want to segregate ourselves by lifestyle differences. Now, I'm still old school, but I, I understand that if we don't do this the right way, the prophet said, Blood will be on our hands in the judgment day. I don't know that that'll keep us out of heaven, but we may not get everything that, that we're supposed to get in heaven because there will be awards given. There will be, there will be gifts given. There will be, there will be blessings given to those who obey the gospel in the earth when it comes to sharing and soul winning and witnessing. And these young people witnessed to me, and I was intrigued. I tried to get one of the girls to go to a dance. Oh, Bob, we don't dance. Tried to get her to go to movies. We don't go to movies either. Now, it's 63 years ago. All that's changed now, tragically. But I said, well, where am I going to take you? She said, to church. I said, that wasn't on my list of exciting things to do. But I went to church. I heard the gospel. I gave my life to Christ. And a week later, I was baptized in the mighty Holy Ghost. Now, I'm going to talk to you about that in just a moment but to be apostolic, to follow the apostolic teachings of this book, you must believe that there is a God, that he has always existed, and that he loves everybody, and that he will save anybody at any time they will ask him because he provided for that. Apostolic means that we love people. We have to love people. I spent almost nearly 15 years in the city of Philadelphia. I lived through the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. riots when they assassinated Dr. King. In fact, seven years ago, I was nominated for the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Lifetime Achievement Award for our work in the inner city of Phoenix, Arizona. We, we've gone where, where we've gone into some of these neighborhoods where police go with big 38s on their hip and, and giant police dogs. And they've said, Pastor, don't go in there. That's a bad neighborhood. Be careful, be careful. And my only response is, look, God loves those people as much as he loves us. And if I really have apostolic love, if I honestly have apostolic love, then I've got to go, whether it's safe or unsafe, every time I go overseas, People will say, aren't you afraid to go? Aren't you afraid? I, 
told people, I'm sa- I feel safer on the streets of Logos, Nigeria than I do South Phoenix, Arizona. I go because there's a passion. And guys, the same passion that's in me is in you. Just cultivate that. Let it mature. Let it develop. And how does that happen? Be, be with people. Now, I know right now we got we to gotta elbow stuff and, and, and look like the Lone Ranger. But when this thing gets over, you know what's amazing? You know, you know what's exciting about this pandemic? It has turned every preacher into a TV evangelist. These shy, quiet guys with 40 people in their church, with not talking about you, but these guys that that you know don't have a great big congregation, and they would get up and preach every morning, every Sunday to 40 or 50 people. Now they're on Facebook preaching to thousands. I have a, a pastor friend, in, and I was talking to the kids last night down in near Baton Rouge, Pastor Spell, Tony Spell, a Life Tabernacle, a huge, huge thousand-member church. He got arrested for not closing his service. And now, they, what, my church in Phoenix, they, they, they uh, closed down for a couple of months, and uh, thank God nobody's been sick yet. Nobody's tested positive or anything like that. But this church in Baton Rouge have not missed one service in 63 years. Life Tabernacle. Uh, they've not missed a service in 63 years. Grandpa started it, and now Tony Spell has, has continued it on. He got arrested, but I heard him on Facebook say, and you know, they, they send 18 or 20 buses out every Sunday morning and bring four or 500 people in from the ghettos and the underprivileged folks, and they feed them breakfast, and then they bring them into church. And I've seen him on Facebook. Man, they're dancing and marching and carrying on. The, guy, the reporter said, why do you do this? He said, because we love people. And guys, that's the thing that's got to motivate us. We must love people. That's being apostolic. When God's inside of us, and I know I'm preaching to most of you that already know this, but it doesn't hurt to learn it again. We learn by repetition. Three of the happiest years of my life were spent in the ninth grade, learning by repetition. That's a little joke. Number two, if you're looking for the perfect church, you'll discover that it must be a spirit-filled church, which makes it Pentecostal. So the perfect church is apostolic, and it's Pentecostal. Now, what do I mean by that? That means we enjoy exactly what we've enjoyed this morning. We yield ourselves to the spirit of the living God. Now, I happen to believe that this eternal God that I talked to you about, he's a spirit. God is a spirit. You cannot see a spirit. So when God wanted to be seen, he wrapped himself in humanity incarnated himself into the womb of the virgin and God became a man without ceasing to be God because God is eternal and God is omnipresent so he was everywhere at once and yet he could inhabit a human being on earth and God became flesh. Now he said I'm not going to be with you always. He was here for 33 and a half years. God walked on the face of the earth. 
You know, someone said when man walked on the face of the moon, that was the greatest thing that had ever happened. No, no. The greatest thing that had happened was when God walked on the planet Earth. But God said, I'm only going to be here for 33 and a half years. And he made that very plain. He told him, hey, man, I'm going to be lifted high and I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to be in the grave for three days and then I'm going to raise. I mean, he didn't keep that a secret because, you see, he knew who he was and why he came and what his mission was. He knew what his assignment was. He said, when I leave, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will send my spirit. And so what we experienced this morning was what we must experience because we believe in the living spirit of an eternal God. Oh, hallelujah. I'd been saved 10 days when I received the mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'd repented on March the 27th, 1957. 10 days later, we were, we were in church on a Sunday evening. And I'd never, I'm brand new to this. All, all this stuff's brand new to me. I didn't know. And they kept talking about the power falling. And I thought, well, now, where's it going to fall? I, all the terminology was all new to me. But I'd repented. I knew my sins had been forgiven. And they began to pray for me. I'm 15 years old. I'd never heard anybody speak in tongues. Didn't know what the Holy Ghost was. Did somebody just take my picture? All right, next time, get on. This is my better side, though. So, if you want to. so I'm praying at the altar. I got to keep people awake because I could be boring sometimes. And all of a sudden, these young people came down where I was. One grabbed this arm and said, hang on, Bob, hang on. One grabbed this arm and said, let go, let go, let go. They're holding me down and spitting and coughing and praying. And a little girl came and, Jack Ritchie's aunt, came and knelt next to me, Gail. She said, Bob, do you want the Holy Ghost? I was afraid to say no. But I didn't even know what they were talking about. But all of a sudden, God Almighty put his spirit inside me. Not another God. Not a second God or a third God or a fourth God, but the God came to dwell inside of us by the power of his spirit. That's why we call it the Holy Spirit. And how do I know that happened? Because I spoke in tongues, and that is the initial physical evidence that someone has received this mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. You will speak in tongues. That's God's sign to us. That we have been endued, filled, empowered by his spirit. Now, now let me, let me share some things with you that's deep in my heart. I've been a pastor for many, many, many years. Started churches. We built a great church in the state of Delaware. Seated a thousand people. Uh, it was a huge building. Multi-purpose building. I baptized 400 people in five years. And then God, we built, a, we built a brand new home in the state of Delaware, which is on the eastern coast of America. We were 20 minutes from the Atlantic Ocean beaches. Paradise. I grew up in Kansas. It was a sin to go to the beach in Kansas. You can preach that when you're 1,500 miles away. Now, now I'm 20 minutes from the beach. We built our dream home. We had a beautiful church, a K through 12 Christian school four-year Bible college. We were set. And I went to a meeting one day in Virginia Beach, Virginia, John and Ann Jimenez, Rock Church. We preached there as a family, big church. And, and 
there was a big conference. We had about 30 or 40 pastors, and we were in the prayer room, and the prophets were coming along, and the apostles, and they were prophesying over everybody. And we were kneeling, and they got about three pastors away from me, and I could hear, I had my eyes closed. You know, you can't get blessed with your eyes open, so we've, you always have to have your eyes closed. And so my eyes were closed, but I could hear. And they prophesied over this poor pastor. And one of the prophets said, you don't pray enough. Yea, the Lord says you don't love your people. Yea, the Lord says you don't fast enough. And there are three people for me, and they're rebuking him. And I'm thinking, dear God, I started to think of everything I could and repented of everything I could think of. <laughs> so that by the time they got to me, I was going to be holy with my eyes closed. They got to me. Didn't even know them. David Miner, Violet Kitely, uh, and they, they got to me. And they began to prophesy. And a lady preacher, a prophetess, said, You are said, son, sell your home, resign your church, take your family, travel to the nations of the world, teaching them the first principles of the gospel, Hebrews chapter six, verse one, two, and three, etc. I went home. I said, we'd been there for five years. I said to my wife, honey, uh, I just got a prophetic word. God just said we're supposed to sell the house, resign the church, and travel to the nations. She said, I've known that for six months. I was waiting for you to hear God. Every time she heard from God before I did, she'd say, you know, you're, that means you're thick. <laughs> so we sold our home, resigned the church, took my three daughters. Our boy was in college, took the three daughters at the time, and we lived literally traveled to the nations of the world. We had a group of young people. We, we had a ministry called Kids International. Now, I told you that story to tell you, I believe the gifts of the Spirit, when we're filled with the Holy Ghost, every one of us became a, we're all potential people that can prophesy, that can, that can give messages in tongues with the interpretation. We can use the gifts of discernment, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, Etc. We can we can exercise all of that because that's why we call ourselves Pentecostal people. We are. Uh, I don't call myself a charismatic because I can't spell that word. But we're we're Pentecostal people. We're Pentecostal people because we acknowledge and recognize the emphasis and the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what we must train our children, and I don't know who all is back there from six months to 11 years old. I read the announcements. But we must train our children, and I see this more and more as I travel the nation. We're not training our children to understand the sacredness of what it means when the Spirit of God begins to move among us. When we were growing up in church, if someone gave a message in tongues and interpreted or, or, or gave a prophetic word, we were trained and instructed, you bow your head, you honor, you revere the Holy Spirit when he's moving among us. And God, help us if we lose that sense of holiness when the Spirit of the Almighty God is among us. I held a revival in, in, in my wife's home church before we married. It lasted 31 days, the month of January, 1961. I preached every night for 31 days as, a, as an 18-year-old preacher boy. Turned, turned 19 January the 5th of the next year. 31 nights. I probably did more harm to the kingdom than I was only 18 years old. 
But one night, we were casting a devil out. And I knew how holy that, and this, a lot of this stuff was all brand new to me. If you're going to take my picture, get on this side. Oh, you're going to make music? Good for you. That's a sign. I understand these things. I've been in this a long time. And when the music starts, hey, preacher. Anyway, but that's good. Make a little music because they're going to need it when I get to point three. We begin to cast this, this. I made all the mothers take their babies out of the sanctuary and go back to the nursery. Because when you cast a demon out, it's looking for someplace else to go. And unless you instruct it. Now, I'm not a demon chaser. I'm not a demon caster outer. But I've done it. Mostly overseas. Most of the people in this country who, who we think are demon possessed are just people that want attention. But we begin to pray. Now, in, this, in, in the church, there was a hallway. They, there was a door that led out of the sanctuary. Then there was the hallway. And then there was the exterior door. And this door was open. And it was in the summertime. And so they had the exterior door blocked open for a breeze. And I'm praying and a couple of people are helping us. And we're holding this poor man down. And I'm casting out everything I could think of. He's, I could tell he smoked by his breath. So I'm casting out tobacco demons. And I, everything I could think of, I was casting out. Hoping I'd hit something along the road. All of a sudden, when I said, I, whoever you are in there, I want you to get out of there, leave this building, and never come back. And within seconds, that door slammed shut. The exterior door slammed shut. And that boy was delivered, totally delivered. Now, why did I tell you that story? Because it was a sacred, holy moment. And we Pentecostal people had better return with the attitude of what it means when the Spirit of God moves among us. It's not wrong to reverence the Holy Spirit. It's not wrong to reverence tongues and interpretation of tongues. It's not wrong when someone's giving a prophetic word for you to honor that. Now, I, I teased a little bit about closing your eyes. You can be just as blessed with your eyes open we were always taught, bow your head and close your eyes. And when I first got saved, I thought that's the only way you could get blessed was with your eyes closed. And so you, you can get a headache after a while squeezing your eyes so tight. But here's what I've learned. Sometimes if you look around, you may see things that other people don't see because there are angels among us. And there are things that happen in the spirit world that if you're looking and if you're in right regard, right relationship with God Almighty, you'll see things that others can't see. That's what it means to be in a Pentecostal church. Now, I'm going to ad admonish you. I didn't come with anything new. I'm not preaching anything new to you. And you need to be wary in these days of charismatic chaos and all kinds of nonsense that's going on. You need to be aware. Don't be taken aback by every new revelation that comes along. You stick to the Word of God. If it's in the book, the old timers used to say, I believe this book from cover to cover, and I even believe the cover. It says Holy Bible. You don't need to be excited by every new revelation that comes along. Dear God, we can't live all the revelation that we've got here to begin with. Holiness. Make sure that your church is apostolic. Make sure your church is Pentecostal. Thank God for these children on this platform. 
showing us how to worship God. Zachary, son, you keep, keep playing that guitar. Keep jumping and dancing. Jump for pop-up sometimes because I can't, I can't do it like I used to. I could run the aisles and, 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 and dance for an hour before the Lord. But I just can't do that anymore. So you don't stop. Don't stop. Young people, don't you stop what you're doing. You, you young people up here, you dance and shout and praise God and set an example. And Grandma and Granddad, hey, as long as you've got a little bit of spizzerinctum in you, you can do the same thing. Hallelujah. Thirdly, am I doing okay so far? I haven't messed up anything. Okay. Thirdly, the church must be a holiness church. Now, 60 years ago, if a preacher got up and said, I'm going to preach on holiness, man, they'd have jumped up and hooped and hollered. And I've been through all of that stuff. My pastor used to preach, when the barn catches on fire, the paint melts off. That was his theology that women aren't supposed to wear makeup. But the older I get, them old barns look pretty good with the coat of paint. you what I believe holiness is not and remember I'm old school I dress modest I don't go to the things in the world but I don't put that on anybody else but me that's the way I've got to live my church knew how I believed some of them followed what I taught some of them didn't do what I wish they would do But I believe holiness is not necessarily what we put on or take off or where we go or where we don't go. Let me tell you what. Now, I still live a, a separated life from the world. For me, I don't put that on anybody else. But here's what holiness is. And you write this down. It's found in Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now, when you talk about those three things, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. We don't need the world to tell us who we are or how we're supposed to behave. We don't need some government entity to pass some law to tell us when we can go and when we can't go. I don't need ungodly people counseling me. Now, I understand government mandates, and I know this nonsense that we're going through right now, and this too shall pass. And don't get shook up when you see, when you see on TV or Facebook, we may have to wear our masks till 2024. I'm not listening to that. I did honor for a few weeks, and I, I put a mask on to come in here. Midnight got in here, I took it off. I don't want to breathe my own stuff. And I understand what everybody's putting out. One, Dr. Fossey said, 
quarantined for two weeks. Then he turns right around and says, get out in the sunlight because it'll help you. They don't know what they're doing. I'm not going to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I will respect my government. I respect my president. I love my president. But I don't need a government entity to tell me who I am or how I am to behave. I'm subject to the government of this book. I'm not against people that close their church. I'm not against people that open their church. I'm just glad I'm not pastoring. I felt so sorry for the young man. Dear God, the young man that I put in my place, he, I trained him for 12 years, married him to his wife, baptized, baptized him in the name, dedicated his kids, trained him in ministry. January the 1st, turned the church over to him. Pastor Nicole was there because she was one of the founders of the church. Turned the church over to him. Two months later, the poor dude had to close church. And then he had to live through all of this. A brand new pastor had to live through all. Thank God I wasn't doing it because I'd have probably killed people. Who knows? These who knows how to do it? We've never done it before. So I don't need the ungodly to tell me I'm not gonna seek counsel from the ungodly. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, I'm not telling you to break laws. I'm not telling you to, to laugh at mandates and rules and regulations. But remember, our superior counsel comes from God Almighty and from this book that doesn't need to be changed. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. If you look into that really, really, really honestly, it means don't do what sinners do. Don't do what they do. When I was a kid in church, my Sunday school teacher used to tell us, if you're going to go someplace, of course, back in the day, they really named sin. I mean, they just named it right out. Today, we play with it. But our Sunday school teacher used to say, wherever you go, whatever amusement you're going to go to or wherever you're going, before you walk in that door, would Jesus walk in there with you? Or would he stay on the outside? And that stayed with me for all these years, guys. Nor sitteth, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Don't do what sinners do. Don't behave like they behave. This is holiness. Holiness is not how, how long your hair or how short your dress is. Holiness is not doing what the unsaved people do. That's holiness. Nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Let's stop criticizing each other. Let's stop finding fault with each other. Dear God, where am I? Springdale. I know where I'm at. It's the other vice president that didn't know where he was at. But in Springdale, in Springdale, Arkansas, I know this city is filled with backsliders. This city is filled with wounded people who got hurt in church. And the problem is the church was probably at fault because we kill our own wounded. Are you listening to me? We kill our own wounded. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Let criticism never be mentioned among us. Let us live a life that's so ple You know, the, those early people, those early Pentecostal pioneers 
You know why they lived the way they did? They wanted to please God so much. I was saved in 50. You know, I did some research, and I'm a minor, a little church historian. I know all about Pentecost and our history, our modern history, and our ancient history. The modern Pentecostal movement began in 1900 in Topeka, Kansas, Charles Parham's Bible School, so on and so forth. 57 years later, I received the Holy Ghost. This modern Pentecostal movement was only going, it was only 57 years old. I was to the 100th anniversary a few years ago in a place called, uh, it's, a, it's a place right outside of Los Angeles where the, actually the Jesus name movement began. And I went to their 100th anniversary uh, a few years ago. But it dawned on me that this modern movement was only 57 years old when I received the Holy Ghost. Our leaders were still learning how to do things. They were just learning. Denominations were starting and failing and merging and separating. But now, nearly 80 years later, we're a lot further along. A hundred years later, we're a lot further along than we were. But you know those early people, they wanted to please God so bad, they would do anything that they thought would hurt. They stopped doing everything they thought would hurt or harm God or displease God. They lived, they lived separated, just sometimes unnatural lives because they wanted to please God so bad. And there are still pockets of those kind of people left in the world. So it says to me, I'm, if I'm going to be a holiness man, if I'm going to be a holiness man, don't sit in the seat of the scornful. I may not agree with everything, but I'm not going to criticize. Because guess what? The wheel goes round and round. And what you give out eventually will come back to you. So if you're in the right church, you'll believe that God has always existed. That he loved us enough that he wrapped himself in human flesh and came to the earth. That the baptism of the Holy Spirit is God's gift to a redeemed person. And that you will not seek the counsel of the ungodly, nor walk in the way sinners walk, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But our delight is in the law of the Lord. And we will meditate in that law day and night. And we will train our children in the ways of God. And we'll teach them the sanctity of what it means to be in the presence of God. This praise team, you children, brought tears to my eyes. Not because of who you were, because of what you were doing to magnify and to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. Don't take that lightly. I'll close with this. We're supposed to be out of here by 1230. And I'm, I'm everything. Okay, what time is it now? 11.45, okay. So I got 30 more minutes. No, 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 no. I want to go home and eat what she's cooked all night long. Don't back away from where you are right now. Don't stop what you're doing. 
take this beauty, and I'm honored to be here for your first Sunday. I, I was really touched. I, I, I thought maybe Phil would say, no, Dad, you do it next week. I want to preach the first time. He said, no, you're on. But don't stop what you're doing. Sis, you, you play that music. Son, strum that guitar. Buddy, beat those drums or play that guitar. You used to have drums. Oh, you're the drummer. What's broke? You want my chair? Don't stop what you're doing, kids. You young people, dear God. You've got a great pastoral team right here. I married them, and they're thoroughly married. When I married, when I married her mother, we were standing in the front of the preacher. My wife's uncle was our pastor at the time, and he was marrying us. He looked at me and said, do you take this woman to be your legally wedded wife? She said, he does. We were married for 50 years, five months, six days, and 12 hours. And last 2011, the Lord received her into heaven. It's been a great life. And I got a few more years yet to go. I told my church I was going to come back and preach on my 100th birthday. That's what I'm confessing. In fact, a few months ago, I was preaching and I jumped up on the front pew. Oh, we have chairs. Jumped up on the front chair and they were clapping and cheering. And when I got through, I said, now a couple of you guys come help me get down. <laughs> it's a great life, guys. Don't slow down. Don't back up. And if you found the perfect church, then you're in good shape. Not because we're perfect. Oh, God have mercy. We're not perfect. In fact, men, let me tell you how to have a perfect marriage. Now listen to me. Do not ask your wife what time dinner is going to be served while she's out cutting the grass. Let's close on that one. That wasn't quite as good as the chili bean soup. God, we bow in your presence. Lord, from the time I walked into this room, I felt your holy, holy presence. I sensed that you were here, not because of who we are, because of who you are and what we want and what we need. And Lord, I'd never heard that song before, but you don't hide yourself to tease us. And oh, how I want to see fulfilled, send the fire and the wind again. God, will you birth forth a revival here at Vision Church in a, in a room that can, that can become a revival center, a place of healing and deliverance and miracles and signs and wonders. Lord, this is a religious community. Some say burned over, but there's a whole new generation that has no idea what's going on. And they're the ones we need to go after. I bless this church. I bless these pastors and these workers and ushers, those in leadership. And may God Almighty, 
always be honored and loved and his name preached because we know the name is Jesus. He's our redeemer, our savior, our creator, our God, our healer, our leader, the great bishop of our church. Bless this great people. Keep them strong, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search Vision Church. If you would like to help support this ministry, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give.